0: Happy Mother's Day to you moms. Um, I thought it would be appropriate um, to start this series and on especially Mother's Day with um, a story of experimentation on children. Because isn't that what mothering is, really? Uh, Back in the 1960s, uh, Stanford researchers did um, a study on four-year-olds and uh, they, they basically placed them in the room, they put a marshmallow down on the table, and they told them they could have the marshmallow now or they could wait 15 minutes and get two marshmallows. And then they left the room. And they recorded the results of this research. This is actually a study that's been done multiple times since the 1960s, uh, but they recorded what the kids did, and then they actually followed these four-year-olds throughout their life because they wanted to see if there was a connection between a child's ability to delay gratification and an adult's ability to de- delay gratification. And here's what they found in the, the study, the, the, the four-year-olds that waited, they, they delayed gratification and got two more marshmallows. Here's what they found about them as adults. Number one, uh, they performed better on standardized tests in high school. They were superior at building social skills, feeling empathy, and resolving conflict, had higher cognitive ability, higher self-esteem, coped better with stress, were less likely to use drugs, and surprise, surprise, had lower levels of body fat. (laughs) Now, (laughs) some of you parents are thinking right now, how would my kid do with that, right? How would number one do with that? How about number two, how about the third born, how about the fourth born, right? And, and I don't blame you one bit because the first time I heard this story, I went home and I tried it on my son. <laughs> because if science can tell me how my kid's going to turn out, then by golly, I'm going to find out, right? My son was, was four at the time and I didn't use marshmallows, I used M&M's. I told him, I did the same thing. I said, you can have this M&M now, or you can wait 15 minutes, and I'll give you, and give you a handful. And, and, and he, did, he did pretty good. Now, I'm not suggesting you do this, okay? This is not a parenting message. If it is, it's got off to a terrible start, okay? <laughs> so this is not a, a parenting message. Um, I just think it's really interesting. That experiment at Stanford and at my kitchen table. There's a couple things that, that I think about. There's a couple things that kind of rose to the surface, especially as we think about this series that we're getting to, to, to ready to jump into. Um, number one, the first thing is this. There's always more to temptation than what's right in front of you. There's always more to temptation than, than we realize in the moment. There's always more at stake than what we realize. Because in the moment, it's about the marshmallow, right? In the moment, it's about the M&M. But as I looked into my son's future, as I looked at all of the experiences that I I knew he was probably going to have because I had some of those experiences, it was way, 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 way more important than that marshmallow. It was way more important than those M&Ms. It was way more important than that because when it comes to temptation, there's always more in play than we realize. And then the, the second thing was this. My son's willingness to resist temptation hinged on his confidence in me. His willingness to resist temptation hinged on his confidence in me. In other words, if he was absolutely sure that he was going to get a handful of M&Ms, if he was confident that dad would keep his promise, it was worth the wait. But if he thought for one second that I would walk into the room 15 minutes later, laugh in his face and go, I can't believe you fell for that, and then grab the M&M and ate it myself, he, he wouldn't have waited, Right? He would have. The second I left the room, he would have grabbed the M&M and gobbled it down. Those are, those are two things that I think I, I, I noticed from that. So let me just kind of tell you where we're going throughout this series, and then I'll, ba- I'll build my case for it as we go. In every single temptation that you and I face, there is always more at stake than what we realize in the moment. Because in the moment, we think it's just about what's, what's right in front of you because it's just a little lie. It's just a, it's a, it's a minor adjustment on the expense report. It's just a one-night stand. It's just one time. It, it's just a few dollars. I'm just stealing a few dollars. It seems like the only thing that's at stake is what's right in front of us. But what we're going to discover... In every single temptation, there's always more at stake than what you think. And then the second thing, and this is a little bit more um, under the surface. It's a little bit more difficult to, 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 to realize. But just like my son, in every single temptation, there are questions of how much you trust your heavenly father. Can God be trusted? Can God really? Be, can, can I really trust him to come through for me in this? I'm feeling this. Can he really attach his goodness, his faithfulness to my feeling? Can he really come through with, for, for me in this situation? And again, this, this might not be as evident at first. In fact, some of you right now, you're thinking about your biggest temptation and trying to connect the dots between God's faithfulness or your trust in God. And you're having a really hard time because it's, 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 it's just a, it's a, it's a relationship thing. It's a food thing. It's an internet thing. It's a jealousy thing. It's a pride thing. And I just don't see the connection between my trust in God and that, Tim. I don't buy it, which may be why you have such a hard time resisting that temptation because you've, you've overlooked this. Maybe you didn't know it, or maybe you just don't want to believe it. But what if there is a connection? What if there is a connection and then what if you started factoring that into your response to temptation? What if you developed a new thought pattern, a new, a new habit of bringing these two ideas center stage? In, in other words, whenever you're faced with temptation, you go, oh, <laughs> there's more at stake here. There's, there's something else here than I realized. Or, oh, this has to do with my trust in God. What if you brought those two ideas to the forefront and you discovered some traction You discovered some power. You discovered some insight in order to resist temptation. I think that's worth getting up and coming to church for for the next few weeks. Right? So here's what we're going to do. We're gonna look at the temptations of Jesus in Matthew chapter four throughout this entire series, okay? But we're actually gonna start today in Matthew chapter three. So if you have a Bible or a mobile device you wanna follow along, grab that, uh, bring that out. Um, Again, we're spending the whole series looking at the temptations of Jesus. And I think what we're gonna find is that the temptations of Jesus are actually the temptations of us. That the things that he experienced, the things that he faced, are the exact same things that you and I face. It looks different. It's, it's got a, you know a 2021 spin on it. It's got a 2021 facelift on it, but it's basically the same thing. And, 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 and this is a series about Jesus' temptations and how he experienced it, but it's just about us. It's just about us just as much. It's about how we can look to Jesus and see how he resisted temptation. What did he do when he faced it and how we can do The same. So here we go. Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 16. This is before, this is a few verses before the temptations of Jesus, but I want to set this up. Here's what it says As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. So Jesus is baptized by his cousin, you know, John the Baptist. He comes up out of the water, and there's this mystical, kind of visual and audible approval. Of what just happened. And we can go to the other gospels and, and see that some people saw a light that looked like a dove, some people saw um, something else, but, but essentially, God is, is showing his approval of what just happened. Okay? Look at verse 17. And a voice from heaven said, This is my son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. In other words, God is going, That's my boy. I love him. Look at that. I'm so proud of him. Look at that. I just love my son. He's approving of what his son is doing. Now look at chapter 4, verse 1. What's the first word? Then. Then means right after. Then means these two things go together. There's nothing in between. Then means right after he's baptized, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted By the devil. I love you, son. So proud of you. Come with me. Where are we going? Well, I'm going to lead you into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. (laughs) I thought you said you loved me. I do. I do. I'm so pleased with you. Then why are you leading me to do this? Now, some of this is so far outside of my comprehension that I can't even begin to explain it. So God the Father, through the Holy Spirit, leads Jesus into the wilderness, and all three of them are one and carry the nine and 17. What? That doesn't make any sense. But at the same time, it is so helpful to me. There are some of it that I can't understand, but some of it is so helpful because if, number one, if somebody was making this story up, they would not include this. It, 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 it gives so much credence to scripture for me. It's like, okay, um, wait, wait, wait. God led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by a devil. If that really happened, why would you include that? That doesn't make any sense at all. But God did the same thing with Abraham, did the same thing with Moses, Peter, all the original disciples, which is helpful. It's helpful for me because when we face temptation, I think sometimes the tendency is to think if I really loved God, I wouldn't be tempted by this. Or, or, you know, why can't I, why do I continue to struggle being tempted by that? If you've ever thought that, I got some great news for you. Jesus was led by the Spirit to be tempted. Jesus was tempted. Of course you and I are going to be tempted. Being tempted is, doesn't mean you're sinful. Being tempted means you're human. Being tempted is not sinful. Being tempted is not a sin. Jesus was led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness, knowing full well what was going to happen. I've often wondered if this is why Jesus included the part about temptation when he taught us to pray. You remember that? One of the things he taught us to pray was, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I wonder if he taught us to pray that because he experienced it. And he thought, you know what? I don't want you guys to experience the same thing. So here's... Here's something to pray about. And then, look at the next verse, verse 2. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I wonder why Matthew put that last part in there, but there you go. He was hungry. After not eating for 40 days and 40 nights, then the tempter came to him. And we're going to pick it up right there next week. And here's what we're going to discover. Jesus is going to be tempted in three specific ways. All three of which have to do with his confidence in his father. And all three of them are in the background of every single temptation you'll ever face in your life. You may not see it. You may not believe it. But these three things are the source of every temptation that we face. And one of the things that excites me about this series is that some of you are standing on the doorstep of being freed from some temptations that you've dealt with your entire life because God is about to pull back the curtain on your temptations. Remember Wizard of Oz? Remember that part? Dorothy and the gang, they get to the, they get to the great and powerful Oz, right? They're shaking in their boots. And Toto goes over and pulls back the curtain. And there's this little old man with a microphone and he's looking at them, and they're looking at him, and what does he say? Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Right? And all of a sudden they realize, you're not that great and powerful after all. You're, you're just a little old man with a microphone. We, we were so enamored with the, the noise, and the smoke, and the CGI. We were so enamored with what we thought was powerful, but now we see, you're not powerful at all. You're just a little old man with a microphone. See? When, when we discover the truth about temptation, what's really going on behind the curtain, and we look at it from a proper, biblical perspective, we gain leverage over it. We, we gain traction, we gain power, we insight that maybe we didn't know before. And then when we apply that to our lives, temptation starts to lose its power over us. And the way that we're going to do that, the way we're going to do that is by looking at the root of all of Jesus's temptations, which are the root of all of our temptations. So I'm just going to tell you what they are here at the very beginning, and then we'll we'll spend the rest of the series unpacking these. So Jesus was faced with three temptations. The first was meeting legitimate needs in an illegitimate way. We are all faced with this. Meeting legitimate needs in an illegitimate way. Number two, leveraging God for his own agenda. Leveraging God for Jesus' own agenda, his own thing, his own kingdom. And then the third thing was doing the right thing the wrong way. Doing the right thing the wrong way. Your temptations find their root in. And they're fueled by one of those three things. And as we peel back some of these layers, as we pull back the curtain, I think these temptations, your temptations, start to lose power, over you, and, and to be clear, temptation will never go away this side of heaven. Like, like that's just part of living in a fallen, sinful, sin-scarred world. But once you realize, once you realize what's happening behind the curtain, you find the power, the energy, hopefully the motivation to say, Wait, wait a minute, I see what's really going on here. This isn't about him. This isn't about her. This isn't about them. This isn't about that one thing that keeps coming back over and over and over. It's way, way deeper than that. And it's way deeper than simple self-control. It's deeper than that. This is about the godly insight to deal differently, to to, to deal more efficiently with temptation and sin. To to put it theologically, Jesus, when, when he came into this world, Jesus didn't just die to come, or didn't just come to die for for sin. He came to free us from its power. Like his death didn't just punch your ticket to heaven when you die, it also provided you the power to say no to sin in the here and now. It's one of my favorite verses. Paul said, Paul wrote, Romans 6 14, for sin shall no longer be your master. For you are not under the law, but under grace. If you've placed yourself under the authority of Jesus and his rule in your life, you don't have to obey sin anymore because it's not your master. Now, is that because of something you've done? No, it's because of something Jesus has done. He broke the power of sin, not just in terms of your eternity, but in terms of its power over you right now. And one of the tools we have available to us are the tools that Jesus showed us in how he resisted temptation. This narrative that we have in in how he responded to temptation and how we can deal with it. Now, before we jump into all of that stuff next week, I want to go back to something I said at the beginning, okay? In, In the marshmallow experiment and when we face temptation, there's always more at stake than what we think. We think it's just about what we see in front of us, right? It's about ordering dessert or not. Right? It's like, that's all there is to this. Um, it's, it's, should I call him back? Like, he called me and he left a message and yeah, I probably shouldn't really do this. Should I call him back or should I not call him back? Should I tell her the whole truth or just part of it? That's all this is about. It's just about me telling the truth. In the moment of temptation, we think the issue is what's right in front of us. That's all it's about. And when we give in to temptation, we do these weird things, right? When we give in to temptation, uh, violate our conscience, we sin, we disobey God, however you want to phrase it. We feel guilty. We feel a little bit guilty, but we wake up the next day and it's, life's the same. And if we're Catholic, we'll go see the priest. If we're Protestant, we'll quote, you know, 1 John 1, 9. If we're Calvinist, we'll say, well, I couldn't really help it anyway. And we just move on, Right? <laughs> But there's always, there's always more at stake than what we think. It's not obvious. It's not obvious. It's kind of below the surface. But when you read the story of Jesus's temptation, this comes through so loud and clear. Because do you know what was at stake when Jesus was tempted? Do do you realize what hung in the balance of his decision to say no you did, I did, we hung in the balance of his decision to say no to temptation. What was at stake for Jesus was his ability to remain sinless. Because if he sinned, regardless of the circumstances, if he sinned, he would no longer be the sinless sacrifice for sin. He would no longer be eligible to die for our sin. He would lose the opportunity. It was way more than turning stones into bread. It was way more than jumping off the temple and having angels show up to catch him. It was way more than temporarily, momentarily worshiping the devil. It was way, way bigger. It went way, way beyond the specific temptations that he was facing. And the same is true for you and I, when we face temptation. Every time we're tempted, there's more at stake than what we see. And and we're gonna talk about this more over the coming weeks, but just hang with me, okay? Every time that you're tempted, here's what's at stake. Three things. Your future, the future of someone you love, and your faith. Your future, the future of someone you love, and your faith. There's a piece, there's a chunk there is a little bit of your future at stake. And you know what? We see this so easily in other people. It's so easy to see. It's why those of us who are parents tend to overreact a couple times in the life of our children. Right? Some, our kids do something, and, and we go off on how they're going to end up homeless or in jail, and I'm not going to be able to cuddle my babies, you know, when, I, when you grow up, right? And they're just like, I left the wrapper on the floor, Mom. But see, we, as parents, as, as a, those who are a little bit older, we see how some of those things can connect. And we see a little bit of their future or a potential, a little bit of their future. As a, as a friend, as a parent, a grandparent, it's so easy to see how the future is at stake in the people around us. <laughs> but for some reason, we can't see this in the mirror. But to some degree, there's a little bit of your future at stake every time you're tempted. If you're young students, middle school students, high school students, college students, you know what's at stake? You got a lot of future at stake. You got a lot of future. There are, there are adults who could stand up right now and they could talk about a temptation that they gave into when they were your age, and that decision is still affecting them to this day. You got a lot of future at stake. If you're a little bit older, you're, you're down the line a little bit more, you got a lot of legacy at stake. You could live your entire life making the right decisions, staying on the straight and narrow, and then at the end of your life make some really dumb decisions, and all of a sudden, your legacy, poof, up in smoke. You got a lot of legacy at stake. And, 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 and the rest of us, we're somewhere on that continuum. We're somewhere on that timeline. So just imagine what could happen if when you're tempted, you bring this front and center and we realize, whoa, 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 whoa. There's a piece of my future that hangs in the balance here. There's a piece of my legacy that hangs in the balance here. It's not just about her or him or that contract, that deal, that decision. This is about my future. This is about my legacy. But that's not all. That's at stake. If you're a husband or a father or, a, you know, you, you're, you're single, your family's future is at stake. Moms, I know this is your day, but come on, if you're a mom or wife, your kid's future, your husband's future, your family's future is at stake. If you're a boss, your employee's future is at stake. Hey, you guys remember Enron? You remember that? People who had more money than they could spend in their entire lifetime started moving numbers around and, and did they suffer for their decision? You better believe they did. But so did everybody else under their authority. Thousands of people's retirement plans and pensions, poof, because of somebody at the top of the totem pole. Some of you, your, your childhood, your childhood was ripped apart, not because of temptations you failed to overcome, but because of Temptations your parents failed to overcome. Mom drank too much. Dad, he ran around too much. And did they, they, they thought it was about the moment. They thought it was about their thing. They thought about, it was just about what they were doing. And, and did they face consequences to that? Yep, absolutely. But they weren't the only one, were they? They weren't the only one to some degree. In some way, the temptations we fail to overcome affect the people that we love. Or or, or the people under our authority. Because temptation is very rarely isolated to the individual. (laughs) But in the moment, we can't see that. In the moment, it's just about the marshmallow. That's right in front of us. But it's even more than that. It's your future. It's the future of someone you love. But it's also about your faith. And this one's, again, this one's a little bit harder to see. But every time you give in to temptation, every time you sin, every time you chip away at your relationship with God. And over time, the more you chip away and chip away and chip away and chip away, it slowly erodes your confidence in him. This is, this is one of the reasons people grow up in the church. They, they grow up in relationship with God. They grow up believing him. And then somewhere around college, it just starts to to fall apart. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because it's your story. You've told me your story. And, and you convinced yourself and you convinced other people around you that it was a theological reason. Like, like this is, this is a problem I have with God. You convinced yourself it was theological, but that's not what happened. What happened was you gave into a temptation and then you gave into it again and then you gave into it again and, again and again and again and again and again through a relationship, through a habit, through a thought pattern, and you got to the point where you, got, you, you thought, you know what, does this even matter anymore? I, like, I used to feel guilty about this, but does this even matter if I continue doing this or not? Like, there's not, there, I haven't seen any lightning bolts strike close to me. I've gotten away with it. And I used to feel guilty about it, but I don't really feel guilty. And, and if I don't feel guilty, like, it feels kind of natural. And this feels so natural, so it must be good. And you convinced yourself that it was a theological reason. You intellectualized yourself away from God. But you didn't believe yourself away from God. You behaved yourself away from God. You made a decision, and then another one, and then another one, and another one. And giving into those temptations dulled your faith. And eventually destroyed your faith because that's what sin does. It kills relationship. That's what sin does every time. We give in to temptation. There's a little bit of faith, a little bit of confidence in God that's at stake, which means (laughs) this is so, uh, you and I, what what that means is you and I, regardless of how close of a relationship you have with God right now, we are just a, a series of sins away, a season of giving in to temptation away from getting to the point where we say, I don't know if I believe this anymore. I don't know if I buy it anymore. I, I, maybe, yeah, maybe I didn't really believe in the first place. I don't know. I, I, yeah, I don't know. And, and again, we think we've intellectualized ourselves away from God. But the psalmist says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Not in his head. We've, we've behaved ourselves away from God. You gave into temptation so many times. It eroded. It chipped away in your relationship with God. At the heart of every temptation is this question. Can God be trusted? Can God be trusted with this? Can can God be trusted to meet my needs here? Is he really going to provide? Can can God take care of me? Can God be trusted? And every time I give in to temptation, I answer that question with no. No. I don't think he can be trusted. So I'm gonna go on my own. I'm gonna do my own thing. I'm gonna make my own decision here. Every time, every time you and I are faced with temptation, there's more at stake than what's right in front of us. Your future, or a bit of your future is at stake. The future of someone you love is potentially at stake. And your faith is potentially at stake. And so here's, here's what I would like us to do. Here's how we're going to land the plane, and then you go love on your mom for the rest of the day, okay? It, it seems a little hokey, okay? I will fully admit this. It seems a little odd. It's going to be really strange to some of you, but I think it's going to be helpful, okay? I want us to personify temptation, and then we're going to talk to it, okay? And we've done stuff like this before, so if you've been around Grace Point, this isn't that odd, okay? And this is just a tool that I want to give to you. And you can take it and you can modify it. You can use it. You can forget it. You do whatever you want with it, okay? But I want to personify temptation and then we're going to talk to it. We're going to put it up on the screen. I'll say it. And then I want you to repeat it after me, okay? So here it is. Temptation. You will not steal my future. You will not steal my family. And you will not steal my faith. Temptation. You're going to, you're going to personify it. It's, it's, it's there, okay? Personify it. Temptation. You will not steal. My, Go ahead. You will not steal my family, and you will not steal my faith, okay? Now let's take another baby step. I want you to turn to the person next to you, and I want you to tell them your biggest temptation, and then we're gonna come back and say this again. I'm just kidding, don't do that. (laughs) Some of you, some of you are like, all right, let's go. (laughs) You're about to make some friends. Like, remember 2021 when Pastor Tim ruined Mother's Day? (laughs) It's not what I want you to do. Here's what I really want you to do. Okay. I want you to think, okay, in your mind, I want you to think of, of your biggest, most recurring temptation. It could be a relationship thing, a habit thing. Um, an addiction thing, a thought pattern, a pride thing, a jealousy thing, a comparison thing, whatever it is. I want you to bring that front and center to your mind. Okay? And then we're going to say this again. And I want you to speak to that temptation in your life. And I don't want you to listen to my words. I don't want you to listen to the words of the people around you. If, if you need to close your eyes, if it helps you to close your eyes, close your eyes, there's nothing wrong with that. But I want you to speak to that temptation, and I want you to listen to your own words, okay? So grab it, forefront of your mind. It's right there. You got it? Okay, you ready? Here we go. Temptation. You will not steal my future. You will not steal my family. You will not steal my faith. We got to learn to talk to temptation, and here's why one of the deceiving things about temptation is that we think it's just a part of who we are. We can't stop doing it. So that must mean it's just who I am. And one of the ways we're going to remove that hold on our life is to put it in its proper place. Temptation, no, you are not a part of me. You are outside of me. And I'm not going to let you steal my future. I'm not going to let you steal my family. And I'm not going to let you steal my faith. And again, some of you think it's hokey or dumb. That's fine. But some of you, some of you might just get freed up from things that have had you in bondage for years. And can I just tell you, that's exactly what your heavenly father wants for you. He wants you to be free. He wants you to to experience the power that his son made available to you. That's what your heavenly father wants for you. Freedom from anything that so easily entangles, the author of Hebrews says. But it starts by putting temptation in its proper place. So next week, part two, we're gonna look at the first temptation Jesus faced and we're gonna see what turning rocks into bread has to do with your faith. So I hope you join us next week for part two, but let me pray for you and then we will get out of here. Father in heaven, this is, um, this is something that every single one of us can identify with. We can, we can see moments, we can see seasons, we can see places, uh, maybe even today, where we were tempted to believe something, we were tempted to do something, we were tempted to say something, we were tempted to look at something. and We, we, we can all identify with being tempted because we're all human. And if even Jesus was tempted, we might as well just expect it. But God, you didn't leave us there. You gave us Jesus. You gave us the Spirit. You've given us your word. You've given us community to walk with us through this, to help challenge and encourage, to pick us up when we fall. And God, I, my, my prayer is simply that you would throughout um, throughout this series and beyond, that you would use your word by the power of your spirit and the community of your church to free a whole bunch of people from the bondage they've been in for years. And God, we know that it is is only by your spirit that this happens. It is only because of what you've done in history, what you're doing in the here and now, what you've promised to do in the future. God, would you help us as individuals, to look to you. Do you help us as individuals to to grab a hold of the insight, to grab a hold of the power, to grab a hold of the spirit that you have made available to us. And we will follow your example. We will ask for your spirit to indwell in us each and every day. And God, we will look for the road We'll look for the off-ramp. We'll look for the way to resist because we know, number one, it honors you and it sets us up for our faith to continue to grow. We thank you for it. We praise you for it and we ask all of this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, happy Mother's Day, everybody. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. See you next week.